Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. Welcome to Magnificat Proclaims, presented to you by Magnificat, a ministry to Catholic women. I'm Donna Ross, your host for today's program. We pray that today may be a special day in your life as you experience through the personal testimony of our featured guest, the presence of Jesus Christ among us. He is alive and well. Magnificat, taken from Luke chapter 1, is the great hymn of praise that Mary prayed while visiting her cousin Elizabeth. Both women had been deeply touched by God. This Magnificat Proclaims series features Catholic Christian women who have shared their testimony at one of the many Magnificat chapters hosting quarterly meals around the world. Typically, this three-hour gathering provides opportunity for a shared meal, fellowship, communal praise and worship, personal testimony, and intercessory prayer for the needs of the Church and of those present. We trust that these testimonies will help each of us come to better understand that we are truly children of God, made in His image and likeness. I'm delighted to be able to introduce to you today Father Joseph Dressler, a priest of the Diocese of Orange, well known for his charism of preaching, among many other gifts of the Holy Spirit. He is a native of Orange County and the seventh of eight children. His priestly formation includes years of study at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and also Mount Angel Benedictine Abbey and Seminary in Oregon. He was ordained a priest for the Diocese of Orange in 1995. Father Joseph has a great love for church history, particularly as seen through the eyes of her saints. He has a unique testimony to share that will portray the Lord's pursuit of him and his resistance and then surrender. After one year in the college seminary, he left seminary for a full decade. A year before finishing a law degree from Loyola Law School, he attended a St. Ignatius retreat. During this retreat, he heard again the hound of heaven calling him to the priesthood. 
he knew the appointed time had come to respond. Foregoing a law career, he entered immediately into formation to the priestly vocation that had been in his heart since first grade. He is well known for his charism of preaching and devotion to the Blessed Mother. A special priestly work of his is to enkindle in others a great love of the Catholic Church with the fullness of her magisterial teachings, tradition, and sacred liturgy. Listening to this chosen priest will enkindle your heart in faith, hope, and love. Once again, it is my privilege to introduce Father Joseph Dreth. I would like to begin with the prayer that is on the back of my Mass, my first Mass card, and how true these words are for me today as we gather. Psalm 116, verse 12 and 13. How can I repay the Lord for his goodness to me? The cup of salvation I will raise. I will call on the Lord's name. Father, I give you my praise. May I desire only to do your will. Jesus, give me your priestly heart. Come, Holy Spirit, spirit of joy. Gentle Mary, queen of peace, I consecrate myself to you. Holy Trinity, bless my family. As I was driving up this morning, I saw across the street uh, there is an abortion clinic directly across the street. And it was truly brought to my heart that the Immaculate Heart of our Mother is so present. She's so present to us this morning. She surrounds us, her mantle. And this mantle crosses the street. It is there for the great uh, cause of life. And so I would like to consecrate this morning's testimony to this cause of life. Let me begin by saying that I am uh, truly honored and humbled to uh, share with you, my good friends in Christ Jesus, my own story of grace, my testimony. Some months ago, I was approached uh, to speak with you today. And, uh, you know, initially I was hesitant, huh? There is part of our traditional Catholic piety uh, in that humility and the spiritual childhood that we would not draw undue attention to oneself to share those intimate moments of grace from heaven that have helped to fashion, to shape us. But she had uh, shared with me that they had prayed about this for months. <laughs> so I thought, well, why not? Should I do the same? And uh, I prayed about it. And this is what I got in prayer. Well, wasn't I thinking about a vacation about this time? <laughs> no. What I plainly received were these simple words. Tell the story of my grace. Tell the story of my grace. <laughs> and how beautiful these words. It has been a very graced opportunity these months to prepare this talk, to see the hand of God so beautifully at work in my life, and to know that in this sharing that the light of the Holy Spirit will come to you, come to your hearts, to see the hand of God at work in your own life so beautifully, so beautifully. Now, to begin the story of a priestly vocation, I begin at the home, the home, the first school of Christian virtues, where those first seeds of vocation and faith are sown by one's parents. So, Dressler family home, I was born in the year 1961, a marrying year dedicated to Our Lady of Guadalupe. I'm the seventh of eight children born to Wilfred and Leona Dressler. 
And the eighth child is my fraternal twin brother, Jeff, here this morning with us. And there is also a fraternal set of uh, twin girls. So we're a fertile lot. <laughs> there were five girls born first and then the three boys. And with all due respect, my dear ladies in Christ, imagine growing up with five older sisters directing your life. <laughs> I have heard it said that Catholic boys with a lot of older sisters are attracted to the priesthood. <laughs> Something about fleeing, huh? Well, of course, uh, someone should have clued me in that to be a diocesan priest means that you are surrounded by an army of women directing your life. Oh, well. We lived in Garden Grove, and I attended St. Polycarp's School in Staten all eight years. I'm very thankful for that gift. And my first memory of an attraction to priesthood came in first grade. I received an epiphany one day. The teacher presented to us a G.I. Joe doll that was dressed in priest garments. <laughs> and as I looked upon this G.I. Joe, now, do you remember them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> for those uh, listening on audio, I just presented. G.I. Joe. But as I looked upon this G.I. Joe with all of the priestly vestments, the cassock, the alb, the amice, the stole, the chasuble, I had to have that. And so I went to my mom and I begged, I whined, I pestered uh, that I might have uh, uh, clothes for my own G.I. Joe. And uh, I watched her patiently, that great labor of love for so long. And this is to be echoed in my own vocation story. Uh, that after what seemed an eternity, she at last presented to me Father G.I. Joe with all of the priestly vestments, including a chasuble, the, the outward garment, white with blue ovaries. A merry investment, huh? I wonder if there's any spe special significance to that. Hmm? Of course, when it comes to Our Lady, there are no coincidences. And until I prepared this testimony, I had not grasped the beautiful correlation of my mom, Leona's handiwork in sewing those priestly vestments and the handiwork of her motherly guidance, her fashioning of my young soul. Like the doll, uh, action figure if you will, she had measured my being. She recognized with motherly instinct the priestly garments that our Lord Jesus had chosen for me. And through the holy example of her piety, her humility, her unconquerable faith, she had helped to fashion a pattern of holiness and temperament best suited for me. And then finally, with the mantle of our Blessed Mother, she had brought me to the Immaculate One, consecrating me to my Heavenly Mother to clothe me in her mantle of heavenly protection. And so, then, after many months of preparation, I was presented the Father G.I. Joe, and he was to be the chaplain to my pampered cousin's platoon of G.I. Joe dolls. <laughs> and I played at offering the Holy Mass uh, atop the hood of his G.I. Joe Jeep, next to his G.I. Joe Apollo capsule. And after particularly bloody battles, I very piously anointed each fallen G.I. Joe. <laughs> Was I a strange kid or what? <laughs> uh, I haven't changed. Other signposts along the way. 
I remember in second grade, the young associate priest at St. Polycarp came to visit our classroom to instruct us about how to receive Holy Communion. And he asked all the boys there, and this was an age, mind you, when parents most readily encouraged their boys to become priests, and the priest was held in great esteem. He asked all of the boys, who wants to become a priest? And I watched as every hand of the boys was raised in the room. And as I looked about the room, it began to dawn on me that playing a priest had led me to understand that God was calling me to be a priest. And as I looked at all those hands raised, I knew that God had called me alone from all of those young boys to be his priest. Now, I believe firmly that one of the graces our Lord gives to married people through the sacrament of marriage is to recognize in your child the gifts, the unique gifts that God has blessed uh, your child with, and that you are called to nourish, to nurture these gifts in a most powerful way by your own life of virtue. And even still, that God may place upon your heart the vocation that your child is called to. And what a precious gift to a family that is to be honored, that is to be cherished, that is to be nurtured, uh, that especially the gift of priestly or religious vocation encouraged. I remember uh, one of my earliest memories of family uh, driving in the station wagon, all crammed in, all eight kids, uh, on the way to church. And uh, my dad had this habit on the way to church of singing these little ditties about his children. And my grandfather used to do this. And this is very embarrassing stretching me here. Of me he would sing, my Joseph, my Joseph, first Pope of America. <laughs> well, Dad, I have some news, not in either of our lifetimes, okay? But it was his fatherly way of sharing with me those seeds of vocation that he had seen in my young soul. I also recall during my uh, childhood Lent that the family would gather to kneel, uh, the to pray the rosary before the icons of the sacred and immaculate hearts in our family living room. And uh, the rosary would come over the radio. Uh, and if I recall correctly, it was led by Archbishop Sheen. The icons were the first thing that one looked upon as you entered into the Dressler family home, uh, our home being consecrated to their uh, hearts. And it was during the family rosary that my young soul experienced our family being drawn into its greatest peace and unity. It was Our Lady's mediation of her son's grace for our family as we were drawn into his saving sacred mysteries. For as we pray the rosary of Our Lady, my dear friends, she brings us to the heart of the home at Nazareth she, the honor of all humanity, possesses the perfect contemplative gaze of her son. And as we pray the rosary, she then allows us to see through her eyes, to see the continents, the gaze, the sacred words and actions of her son. And we know her son as through the eyes of Our Lady. In the seventh grade, uh, 1972-73, we attended the Life in the Spirit seminars. It's such a grace for our family to augment those first uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit received at baptism that were to be uh, brought to life through the fire of baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I remember uh, attending weekly prayer meetings with my siblings. 
hundreds of youth filling the gym, uh, songs of praise and worship and great testimony. Many charisms showered upon those youth. And it was such a blessed work in my young life and how powerfully it prepared my brother and I for the sacrament of confirmation that we received that year in seventh grade. They were uh, great days of uh, blessing for my young uh, journey of faith and uh, an introduction to the life of the Spirit that through various times has been dormant, if you will, that life in the Spirit, dormant through my own laxity in my spiritual life and my unwillingness to surrender to the breath of the Spirit that takes us from the head and human wisdom to the heart and heavenly wisdom. Then came high school, the lost years. <laughs> Jeff and I attended Notre Dame High School in Riverside after we moved out to Norco with all the cows and ponies. And uh, now to this point, I really did not have a strong priestly mentoring in my life. And sadly, the young associates of St. Polycarp's had left. They were laicized during those years of such Christless in priestly and religious vocations. It was the 70s. There is the story told of Pope Paul VI how he was filled with such sorrow and tears as he looked upon the stack of thousands and thousands of petitions for laicization by American priests. And the Lord has really put upon my heart, my dear friends, how earnestly we are to surround our priests with our prayers of love and support for priests in active ministry, for those many thousands that left some 30 years ago who were laicized, most especially those priests that have been dismissed this past year, this past terrible year, that all are priests forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, and that Mother Church does not abandon her own, and that she surrounds them with her love, and we are to be instruments of, those love, of that love. At Notre Dame my sophomore year, we had four Divine Word Missionary brothers, and there was also a minor seminary uh, that was part of our high school. I became good friends with the seminarians. And when I returned my junior year, the brothers were no longer brothers. They had left the order and the minor high school was closed. My religion teacher, a very good man, was a laicized priest. And I mention all this because despite this being an age of upheaval, the absence of a priestly mentor in my young life, our Lord was still planting those seeds of vocation Granted, the soil could have been deeper, huh? If I had had those priestly models. And like our young people now looking upon the sacrament of marriage that has been so gravely attacked by the enemy in our generation, such that it takes great courage, great courage, to understand and believe in the sacrament of marriage as a lifelong covenant of love. So it has taken great courage for young men and women to respond to the priestly and religious vocation. Courage to hear the words spoken by Jesus to St. Francis. Rebuild my church. Rebuild my church. Now, freshman year of college, I attended University of California at Santa Barbara. Imagine me with long red hair, <laughs> living in an eight-story co-ed dorm, minutes from the beach, so many dorm parties, and all the freedoms of being away from home for the first time in my life. And for the first time in my young life, I began to drift away from the practice of my Catholic faith. Yes, moms, you are right to worry when you send your children away to college. But 
The good news is that after a few months of this falling away, this drifting, my heart began to ache. I felt lost and without any sort of spiritual anchor in my life. And then one evening that I will always recall, I was very down, and the Holy Spirit led me to pray. And as I came to my knees with a heart so heavy that I am burned before the Father of all mercies, I prayed for wholeness, for healing, for guidance in my life, and I received an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that I had not received for years. And in that instant, I knew through holy wisdom two things to be true. I was loved by God unconditionally, and that I was called to the holy priesthood. In the fall of that year, 1980, I entered St. John's Seminary College studying for the Diocese of Orange. It was to be a year of tender grace from on high for this young spiritual novice, huh? God was so good and generous those days. I grew in my love of daily Eucharist. I was spending over an hour a day in contemplative prayer. I was devouring the spiritual classics of the church, including the Little Flowers of St. Francis and Abandonment to Divine Providence by Jean-Pierre de Cussat. Both books were powerful gifts for me to discover the joy and simplicity of abandoning oneself to God's most perfect holy will in all things. They revealed the great spiritual truth that we will know joy and freedom like never before if we learn to surrender our will to the will of the Father. And this life and the Spirit, it increased its charisms as my devotion to Our Lady increased. It was a tremendous year of spiritual growth that I'm very thankful for, a year of my age of 19. And some time during that year, I began to felt a calling in my heart, a, pr a sense of community, uh, a deeper commitment to prayer. And I was very drawn to the life of St. Francis. So you put them all together, such that by that summer, I entered the novitiate of the Capuchin Franciscans in Santa Ynez, California. Yep, I was a Franciscan. <laughs> and to those who know me well, that is very funny. <laughs> Brown sandals and robe, guitar, strumming, and always a smile on my face. But this is the order of St. Padre Pio, huh? St. Inez was everything my heart had been aching for. A strong community, men of deep prayer with a great Eucharistic and Marian devotion, and a simplicity of life. It was a very blessed time. But then an event or tragedy, a loss, suffering can happen in our life that it can take a great time to see providence at work, even if only slightly, as if through a veil. And these are moments of great testing, huh? Will our faith and our hope and our love of God increase through the testing, or will we be swallowed up by darkness and despair? In October of 1981, our novice master uh, was called away, and we had a series of substitute uh, novice masters. And as Halloween approached, a brother and I were out in a clearing, um, uh, clearing away manzanita brush, and there was an accident, and I received uh, a blow from a double-bladed axe. I used to be six feet tall. <laughs> no. It was just a, a wound to the face, just a flesh wound. And uh, so here I was on meds, face filled with stitches, uh, mouth nearly swollen shut, not quite myself, ready for Halloween though. 
and we received a novice master uh, from Berkeley, Berkeley. And after a few days, he called me aside, and he said that I was not to be in the community, that I should call my parents that night to go home. Now, I believed in my heart that I was called to the order, but he was the novice master, and I was to obey. It was that simple in my heart. It was not until much later that I was told that this priest's way of testing your vocation to the order was to tell you to leave and to see if you fought it. I remember calling home in tears, and I was very devastated to the core. And on that long drive home and for months to come, I was filled with such a melancholy that I knew in my heart that the Lord had given me the call to priesthood, and it brought me comfort. So I finished college. I attended uh, University of Spoiled Daughters, USD. University of San Diego, 1984, with a degree in business. I worked uh, for State Farm, and then in 1987, I entered Loyola Law School. And after two years of study, I was one year away from completing my degree. I was clerking for a good firm, and I was offered a federal judicial clerkship. I was 28 years of age, and I was filled with a drive for worldly success. Now, at this point, on two occasions since I had left the seminary nearly 10 years before, I had sharply felt that call to the priesthood. And these graces came to me while I was on extended backpacking trips in the Sierras. It was on those mountains, those beautiful holy mountains, that I had heard the pursuit of the Hound of Heaven. Uh, God's Holy One was still in pursuit, away from all of the noise and distraction of my modern life that had drowned the whispering voice of the Holy Spirit in this beauty upon this mountain the Holy Spirit's voice thundered and I an ungrateful one I replied like that young Augustine of Hippo yes Lord but not yet so many things Lord I want to achieve a career a beautiful ocean home so many women left to woo <laughs> Is it still referred to as wooing? I wasn't a very good wooer, anyways. But behind all of these apparent good things that I want to achieve in a career, to experience in life, were the tactics of the enemy used to delay, to derail, to stifle that holy inertia that I needed to take that path to priesthood, the path to Calvary. Then, in the summer of 1989, at the age of 28, I received that swift kick in that wonderfully large Dressler derriere that I so desperately needed. And through an invitation of a good friend, I attended the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. And as God would have it, as I listened to this holy prophet, this holy priest, I received an image of my own heart. It was encased with brick and mortar of my own construction. I had tried to keep God from entering fully into my heart because of my fear, my fear and doubt about priesthood, fear of giving up so much, a family of my own, the, the fear of being lo lonely, the fear of being a shepherd of souls, the fear of dying to self. And friends, it took Father's passion for the priesthood for me to recognize my fear for what it was, that it kept God at a safe distance, and it left me so hungry, so hungry. And in recognizing my fear, the how the enemy had kept me away from God, I then saw the image change, 
All of the brick and mortar fell away, and my heart was radiating Christ's love. It was beautiful to see. In God's goodness, this was exactly what I needed then, a holy priest who was passionately in love with his priesthood, and I wanted this for my life, to be in love with our Lord, to not fear, and to love the gift of his priesthood for my life. My dear friends, perhaps the Lord will illumine in your hearts this morning. What are your fears that keep you from that transforming union with the Trinity? Fear of losing control or comfort, or of going against that mighty force of the spirit of this age with all of its attraction. Perhaps the fear of being unworthy, the fear that comes from not knowing oneself to be unconditionally loved and good in the sight of the Creator. All of these fears and those not named, we bring before our Lord this afternoon with our healing service of His Blessed Sacrament that you might be unbound from these fears. So, after the Ignatian retreat, which I would recommend to all of you, I was at a crossroad. During the 10 years previous, twice before the Lord had called to me plainly, but this time was different. There was a great intensity to the call, a final rush of intensity, if you will. I knew that now was the appointed time. I was to be generous and to respond now, for this opportunity may not come again. Uh, but the other path, that is the human spirit, the wisdom of this world, said to me, friend, fine, but first finish your degree. Get some career experience. All that will surely benefit the church and even more to the quick. You had better have something to fall back upon after all, look how your life was turned upside down and you were left floundering after you were asked to leave the Capuchins. This is a risky enterprise. Have some insurance. And you see how the enemy works, how cleverly the argument is presented. Anything to turn us away from that sweet embrace of the cross. And thank God that as I brought this to prayer, I had the grace to see clearly that if God the Father God the Father had gifted me with the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ, then I was to trust in him. And I received the words, do not delay my son Joseph. For I call to you this very day like my apostles, Peter and Paul, James and John, to abandon your net that holds nothing and to come and follow me. Praise God for such a grace. And I said, yes, my Lord, you are my master. Direct my footsteps. Please shepherd me. Please, Lord, teach me not to shepherd myself any longer, for I am weary. You have pursued me, the hound of heaven. I am weary, and I am thankful for being your prey. So friends, finally, we are full steam ahead for my studying for the Diocese of Orange. Well, not quite yet. You're beginning to get to know me. <laughs> Jesuit had given me a short list of the dioceses uh, that he suggested I study for. And they were in the Midwest. And one of them was the Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, Lincoln has been blessed with many vocations, many vocations. And so I had the grace to know that I was to act immediately 
And so I followed this holy man's advice. And so, uh, as it happened then, uh, within that year, I entered to study for the Diocese of Lincoln, Nebraska. And I was sent to study at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland. It was a godsend. It was exactly in the Lord's most perfect timing and manner what I needed for my priestly vocation at that time in my life. Now, the Mount is the largest seminary in the United States. It was founded in 1808, and it has a long-standing reputation for its fidelity to the magisterium amongst its faculty and its seminarians. But above all, it is a diocesan seminary that is truly a house of prayer. No matter the hour, the day or night, whenever I pass the chapel doors, there would be a seminarian before our Lord in prayer. The seminary stands under the protective gaze of a tremendous gold-plated statue of Our Lady that sits atop a bell tower. And she looks over St. Joseph's Valley that was to be home uh, and the beginning of our, our first uh, American-born saint, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, where she founded her sisters. And there on the mountainside is a beautiful grotto uh, built to Our Lady of Lourdes. And nearly every day I would take a rosary walk up to these sacred grounds to soak up that palpable piece of these blessed grounds, which attract many thousands of pilgrims. I was part of a Marian Eucharistic prayer group, and we would meet every uh, Wednesday night at a glass chapel that was uh, situated in the grotto, and we would uh, pray the rosary and, and adore our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. During these years, I grew in uh, such a tremendous love of Mother Church, Mater Ecclesia, her sacred traditions, her inheritance of sacred scripture as given to us through the office of teaching that is her magisterium. And here at this holy mount, I was to make my first formal consecration of my life, of my priestly vocation to Our Lady. And this was after I had read the book, True Devotion by St. Louis de Montfort. So I offered his prayer of consecration. And it is a truly anointed a work, uh, the true devotion, uh, because it, it leads the faithful to recognize Mary as the mediatrix of all grace, and that whoever should entrust their heart to her, there the Holy Spirit will dwell unfettered. For wherever Our Lady dwells, there is her spouse, the Holy Spirit. During my time at the Mount, I received, again, that solid foundation that I needed for my priestly formation. It was Truly a blessing to be at the seminary that was a school of Our Lady's virtues, forming us as her priestly sons, giving us her armor of light that we needed for the great battles, the spiritual battles that lay ahead in our priesthood. And then in the midst of perhaps the most joyous years of my life in seminary at Mount St. Mary's, came the words in prayer to me, to whom much is given, much is asked in return. To whom much is given, much is asked in return. Now, when I left for Emmitsburg in 1990 and anticipating to be a priest in another diocese for a lifetime, I left behind family, friends, my mother, Leona, who had been battling ovarian cancer for over five years. And of course, it was heartbreaking, and it was a great step in faith on my part to leave. On the night of December 9th, 1991, I received a call from my oldest sister, Sylvia. She called to tell me that mom was dying at St. Joseph's Hospital. And I asked her if she could place the phone to her ear so that I could speak to her. 
And she told me that she, mom had not been responsive for many hours, that she could not speak. And when she held the phone to her ear, I said, Mom, this is your son, Joseph. I love you. I will be home very soon. And then, from the great strength of the maternal heart that conquers even the final moments of death, she spoke the last words in this lifetime. She said, Joseph, I love you. So what a beautiful gift that our Lord gave to me, for I was the only child that was not able to be at her deathbed, and it has brought me great comfort through the years. After the funeral and grieving with my family, I returned to the seminary, and I began to discern a new path through my prayer. Our Lord shepherded me, and I knew Lincoln to be a very safe place to be a priest, a very strong presbyterate, a great priestly morale, a very lively laity. But now I began to discern that God was calling me back home to give back to the diocese from where the seeds of my vocation were first sown, to share my spiritual gifts with my home diocese. And how true the words that our Lord gave to me, to whom much has been given, much is asked in return. And I was just beginning to learn then that eloquent teaching of the divine master, that a share in his priesthood is a share in his cross. Huh? They are inseparable, as they are for the vocation of marriage, for the fundamental vocation of the call to holiness that we receive through our baptism. And after months of discernment in prayer and with my spiritual director, I decided to uh, make uh, a return to my home diocese, and I met with Bishop Norman McFarland, and he extended an invitation to me to continue my studies for the diocese. Now, sometimes our Lord has quite the sense of humor. Here we go. <laughs> I recall uh, that spring, uh, as I was deciding to return, I was reading in a Catholic periodical about a seminary in Oregon, Mount Angel Seminary, that was experiencing great uh, difficulties. Um, and I remember putting down the a newspaper and remarking to another seminarian, those poor sons without fathers in Oregon. The fall of that year, I was driving up the hillside to Mount Angel Seminary in Oregon. And I said, Lord, very funny this, but did you notice the tears? <laughs> and so during my uh, final two years at Mount Angel Seminary, I was surrounded uh, by, uh, grace to be surrounded by a beautiful Benedictine uh, community there at Mount Angel, the beauty of their monastic life and their liturgy, and it was truly a great spiritual anchor for me. I was again part of a Marian prayer group, and so maybe you're seeing a common thread here, huh? How Our Lady truly brings her devotees together, huh? It has been a constant gift in my life. And if you are not a part of a Marian prayer group, please take a look around this morning to see who Our Lady has gathered around you, her other devotees. She invites us to pray as spiritual families. And now, to the foot of the cross, Allah, Oregon. Almost immediately, I encountered difficulties with the seminary administration. I went from being perceived as a model seminarian, I was uh, president of my class at Mount St. Mary's, to someone who was adverse to the formation process. Now, I know I had not changed, but the priestly formation had changed, huh? And I guess it is safe to say this, that as in my graduating class was a publicly professed Wicca witch. Very, very sad, huh? And there were great spiritual battles that were fought these days. 
And so, of course, of course, I was perceived as too traditional, too Marian. I was not open to all of the agendas that they wanted for the priesthood, including a married priest and a woman priesthood. And as I saw the ranks of our Marian prayer group beginning to be cut, whittled away, I knew that something was on the horizon. And I clung fiercely to Our Lady's mantle. It was going to be a bumpy flight. I was delayed in my diaconate ordination, and then with one semester remaining, I was told by the seminary rector to pack up my bags and to leave. I was told that they did not know me, and all this despite a file that was filled with positive recommendations from faculty and staff and my apostolates. And sadly, my story is one that has too often been repeated in seminaries these last decades, huh? Archbishop Curtis of Omaha, very courageous prelate, has spoken against this unholy agenda that has been hell-bent on weeding out those candidates, seminarians that are not open to an agenda that will radically change the identity of priesthood. And he describes this present vocational crisis as one that is artificially contrived by seminary formation, and by vocation boards that are putting forward their agenda and not that of Holy Mother Church. Holy Mother Church has lost so many of her son's priestly vocations these last decades. And we need to pray and support new vocations like never before. God is most surely calling forth many workers to rebuild his church. The great restoration of the church and mothers, this restoration begins in the home through your fierce love of Mother Church, and your sons, your daughters will emulate this love, and they will know the, the courage and generosity to respond to the rebuilding of Christ Church. So, December 1993, I was driving those many long, gloomy miles alone down the Oregon coast, all of my worldly possessions in this little compact car, and I was a wee bit melancholy, and through my tears, I cried out, Lord, have you duped me once again? I have given myself to your church, and now through her human leaders, I have been so unjustly treated. And as I opened my heart in prayer, I knew that this was the path of Calvary. This is what our Lord had suffered, and if I was to be his priest, I could expect no less. But I receive this bright light of hope. Go see Bishop McFarland, Storm and Norman, the absolute norm. <laughs> he was gracious enough, gracious enough to receive me, and I told him everything. He didn't comment upon it, but he looked squarely at me, and those of you in leadership, you know this look of Bishop McFarland's. And a firm, fatherly voice, he said, I'm going to give you an internship at Our Lady Queen of Angels Parish for one year. Do well. You will finish your last semester at Mount Angel, and you will be ordained for the Diocese of Orange. Bishop, I protested. The rector said that he would never recommend me for orders. You need to be recommended by a seminary rector uh, to be ordained by a bishop. Bishop McFarland leaned forward, <laughs> and he said with more firm intensity, do well, and you will be ordained. 
Ah, Lord, so once more to the brink then, huh? I do not see the path that you have set before me, but I will it because you will it. The grace of Our Lady's Magnificat, huh? And through that time of great trial, I see now the Lord was not only perfecting my trust in him to be unconditional, but also perfecting my love of the priesthood to cherish this precious gift of vocation, to not take it for granted. And what an important lesson for all of us, huh? To cherish that gift of faith, the gift of our vocation that God has given to you, to protect it, to nurture it, to pray for it, to safeguard it. It was a very difficult lesson for me, most especially, to come to a more mature understanding of the church as both human and divine. The church divinely founded uh, that continues the work of our Lord's salvation in our day through her members, who are both saints and sinners. The church that is to be a sign of contradiction to the world, a light to the darkness, even through her weak members. And I have come to the realization that if I had not suffered, if you do not suffer for the church, for her beauty, her purification, her unity, her sacred inheritance, to suffer even through the weakness of her human leaders, then we cannot come to such a precious, unshakable love for her, the Immaculate Bride. And your suffering for the church, my suffering for the church, will inspire others. For the blood of martyrs is the seed of Christians. And now at long last, my friends, my patient friends, we come to that moment of eternal destiny, huh? I was ordained to the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ on December 9th, 1995 by the most reverend Norman Francis McFarland for the Diocese of Orange. <laughs> our diocese whose patroness is Our Lady of Guadalupe and how beautiful our Lord's confirmations. Recall December 9th, four years previously, my mom had died that night, 1991. I was ordained four years to the day later, after. And December 9th is, of course, the feast day of now Saint Juan Diego, to whom Our Lady appeared under the title of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And further still, if you recall from the beginning of my testimony so long ago, that I was born during the Marian year of Our Lady of Guadalupe. <laughs> How truly great Our Lady's role has been in my life. How she has fashioned for me a priestly heart after her own sons. And I bless you and thank you, Mother, my Queen of Heaven, Regina Chaley. I long to serve your heavenly court. And so, my friends, I have been ordained seven years, and there are many stories of my priesthood to share. Our time runs short. I would like to share with you, however, a few brief meditations of the priestly life. First, the sacrament of reconciliation. I go to weekly confession, and each and every time I receive the sacramental minister's words of absolution, I am filled with the Spirit's rush of peace. All of the anxiety, the suffering, the weightiness of my sins to be so truly lifted in this sacramental encounter with the Father of all tender mercies, to be given every good start, good grace to start again, 
to be strengthened in the spiritual battle to fight against temptation. Now imagine then for your priest such a gift of true joy to be that earthen vessel by which the person of Christ speaks those words of forgiveness in persona Christe. How many countless souls have been thankful to me, have blessed me as their confessor, and my, for my part, I can respond, thank you, Father of mercy. Secondly, the pulpit, preaching the word. As I prepare my homily before the Blessed Sacrament, I pray that the Spirit might fill my heart, that I might speak the words of our Savior that will penetrate even the most hardened of hearts. I pray for the Holy Spirit to radiate Christ's presence through me, and as I open my mouth to speak his words of salvation, words that are to be a sumptuous feast for the weary pilgrim. And as I bow before the altar, saying the prayer before I preach the gospel, I pray to St. John Christosom, patron for preachers. I pray to St. Paul the Apostle that I would only give what Mother Church has handed on to us, your canonical right to the sacred deposit of faith, nothing more and nothing less, and that I would give it always in love. And the Lord has blessed me, has graced me, or perhaps with a gift of foolhardiness at times, to never shrink from those difficult teachings of the church for our age. And lastly, let us speak of the Eucharist, the source and summit of the Christian life. Each time the person of Christ speaks through me his words, this is my body, this is my blood, the words of the eternal covenant. It is a moment out of time. It transports us, the priest, the worshiping assembly, to that upper room of Holy Thursday night, to the garden of Gethsemane, our Lord's passion, his trial, to the footsteps up to Calvary's mount, to his crucifixion, and then that bright, radiant, glorious light that takes us to the eternal wedding feast of the Lamb to which all are invited. Our Mass, in which heaven and earth are united, and that curtain is torn asunder. And how present are the saints and angels as we enter into this eternal liturgy. And finally, at that great Amen, when my priestly consecrated hands hold loft between heaven and earth, the bread of life come down from heaven, then it is, my friends, that I am most humbled, that I most truly know my humanity as I am before the very glory of the Godhead. And who am I, Lord, that you would call me to share in such glory? Indeed, each of us are called to share in this glory. Lord, precious Jesus, this morning I wish to thank you with all of my being for the gift of your priesthood. I love your priesthood. Teach me always to be a shepherd after your sacred heart. Teach me to be holy as you are holy. I would like to also thank the Magnificat leaders for inviting me to share my testimony with you this morning. And further still, to thank you for your invitation for me to be part of the Magnificat prayer group these last nine months. It has been such a blessing in my priestly life. It has brought me great joy. During a time when priestly morale has been so low amongst your priests, understandably, 
including for myself, your fellowship, your prayers, your loving support from you beautiful women of God has been a godsend to this once weary priest. And again, it is exactly what I needed in God's timing and in God's providence. And I only had to get knocked about once or twice <laughs> to receive the invitation. Thank you, Donna Ross. But no axes this time. I think I am learning. I would like to leave you with a final story for mothers. This is a story for mothers. After my mother, Leona, died, I helped my dad sort through her things, and I came across a single picture from a Catholic calendar dated 1940. It is a picture of a priest holding aloft the Eucharist, and there in the images of our Lord upon the cross. And the picture is entitled, His First Mass. She had kept this for 50 years. And as I gazed upon this in amazement, my words were, I was doomed before I was even a twinkle in my father's eye. <laughs> before she was married, before her twins were born, this had been her quiet prayer, perhaps a promise from heaven that she had kept in the secret of her heart, for she had never shared this picture with anyone. Only heaven will know for now the prayers of consecration that she had offered for her sons while they were still in the womb. And the Lord said to his servant, before I knit you in your mother's womb, I knew you. From all eternity, I have called you by name. My dear friends, my dear ladies in Christ, from all eternity, God has called you each by name and invited you to share in the life of the Trinity that is love. May the Spirit cast his holy light of illumination upon your memories to see plainly the goodness, the mercy, the love of God in your own life. All glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen. We truly hope you have enjoyed Father Joseph Dressler. For more information or a copy of the broadcast, please write us at Magnificat Proclaims, P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. Once again, that's Magnificat Proclaims at P.O. Box 2983, Orange, California, 92859. You can also call us toll-free at 800-500-4556, that's 800-500-4556, or 714-744-0336. In addition, if you'd like to know more about this beautiful Magnificat ministry, including a location of a chapter maybe in your area, please call us at 504-828-MARY, that's 504-828-6279. Well, on behalf of Magnificat Proclaims, this is Donna Ross, inviting you to join us next time as we present more personal testimonies from our inspirational Catholic speakers. Remember, Magnificat proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you in His peace.
so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.